will return this week, and we will begin our voyage together through chapter 3, as this morning we will be in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And before we jump in, it seems like a good time to take a look back, maintain proper context, see the forest from the trees, if you will, thus far, in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. So if, if, so if you remember in chapter 1, we read a beautiful doxology. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has chosen us as Christians before the foundation of the world and predestined us for adoption. He wrote, Blessed be the Son, Jesus Christ, who has redeemed us as Christians, and through Him we have the forgiveness of sins. And blessed be the Holy Spirit who has sealed us as Christians and is the guarantee of our eternal inheritance. I mean, what a God we see in chapter 1. But it goes on in chapter 2 that we see through faith, through trust in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, all men, whether Jew or Gentiles alike, they can become one with Christ, have peace with God and have peace with other believers. In short, these two chapters showcase how wonderful our God is and how wonderful His work is for His children. It is a news that when you hear it, you literally want to shout it from the rooftops. And yet it is our tendency as Christians to be somewhat reserved, to keep quiet, for some reason, to not share the greatest news the world has ever received with the world. One of the funniest jokes I've heard recently is about a father whose teenage son asked him why he was whispering so much around the house. And the father replied, because I think the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency, I think they're always listening. And they both looked at each other and smiled. The father started laughing. The son started laughing. Amazon Echo started laughing. Siri started laughing. I thought that might go over some of your heads. So if you didn't get it, ask your favorite millennial after the service. The key phrase there, after the service. But the point is, the church, the world, it has never been smaller It is always listening. It is always connected via Facebook and Twitter, the internet, blogs, FaceTime. Thus the question is, are we willing to boldly and without compromise share with the world the gospel message of our great God to a world that desperately needs it? Our thesis statement this morning, or the main theme that we will be looking at this morning is this. It is that the gospel is the greatest piece of revelation the world has ever received. Therefore, be willing to endure persecution for the spread of the gospel and do it boldly and without compromise. Again, brother Christian, sister Christian, the gospel is the greatest piece of revelation the world has ever received. Therefore, be willing to endure persecution for the spread of the gospel and do it boldly and without compromise. Our scripture reading this morning 
Again, is Ephesians chapter 3. We will be in verses 1 through 6. I would highly recommend you following along in your pew Bibles this morning. And if you do not have a Bible, that is okay. There is a church Bible located in the chairs in front of you. Please feel free to pull that out this morning. And the scripture, the text, is located on page 977. Again, we are in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. The Apostle Paul writes, For this reason I... Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, and as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you this morning for your grace. We thank you for Jesus Christ and his redemptive work on the cross. Lord, we thank you for the gift of the church. We thank you for Faith Bible Fellowship Church in which, Christ, you are the head. And we thank you for this text this morning. Father, open our eyes and our ears soften our hearts this morning so that we can perceive, that we can see, and we can begin to grasp as a child would the greatness that is the gospel message and the internal and eternal inheritance that we receive because of it. Father, the afflictions and the persecutions that we face in the here and now It is nothing compared to the glory we will see in eternity with you. Help us to understand that truth. Help us as brothers and sisters in Christ to be willing to endure for this message, to persevere in the face of any affliction we face, and help us, Father, to be bold in proclaiming this message to the world. It is the only message that saves. Help us to be bold and share without compromise this gospel message. Spirit, give me the words, I pray. Help my sinful tongue this morning to be clear, to be bold, to be humble. Convict this dear body, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. We will begin this morning with our first of two points. And point number one is this. Be willing to endure persecution for the sake of Jesus Christ and the spread of the gospel. Be willing to endure persecution for the sake of Jesus Christ and the spread of the gospel. Verse 1. It says, For this reason I, Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Verse 1, it is an interesting first verse. 
because it seems as though Paul is, to, is about to write out a prayer or he is about to pray for the readers of this letter. And we see that by how verse 1 begins. And we will see a transition later on in verses 2 through 6. We'll see him redirect. We'll see him stop this prayer, call an audible, and start writing in another direction only to pick up this prayer theme again in verse 14 when he writes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, signifying prayer. But the question is why? Why does Paul's prayer here, which he begins in verse 1, why does he suddenly stop? Why does he briefly go in another direction that we will see in verses 2 through 13? And most scholars believe, and it makes the most sense to me, that it is because as Paul prays, as he writes here in verse 1, that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, like we often do in our prayer time, Paul begins to reflect. Remember, when Paul writes this letter, Paul, he is in jail. He is likely in Rome on house arrest, chained to a Roman soldier. And yet in verse 1, he doesn't say he's a prisoner of Rome. He is in Rome, he's being held by Rome, he's chained to a Roman soldier, and yet he states in verse 1 that he is a prisoner, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And why does he say that? Well, because Paul was willing to do whatever was necessary in order to be faithful to his Redeemer and his Lord. If that means persecution for the sake of the gospel, so be it. If that means jail for the sake of the gospel, Paul says, sign me up. Paul's ultimate alliance was to Christ, and because of that, Albert Barnes pointed out, Paul was willing to be a prisoner. He was willing to be captive in service to his Savior. And his service, Paul's service here to his Savior, is that he was the missionary to the Gentiles, preaching salvation to the Gentiles in the same way salvation was to be offered to the Jews through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And whatever he had to do, whatever he had to endure for the sake of spreading this message, he was willing to do because he knew there was nothing that he was to face that was outside of the providence of God. And God would use any persecution he faced for the good of his people and for his glory. And you may be sitting there thinking, well, yes, praise God for Paul. Praise God for how courageous and how faithful Paul was. Good for Paul for being the missionary to the Gentiles. But what exactly does this have to do with me? And it's a fair question this morning. Because there is an important lesson here, brother Christian, Sister Christian, one that is not often talked about today. Too often, I'm sure you do as well, but I hear the idea that when you become a Christian, that life in the here and now, that it automatically will become sunshine and roses. Just become a Christian and life will be good. My former pastor, he would say this, that it's the idea of become a Christian and then you just get right on the cruise ship. 
Massages are at 10, pool time's at 11, lunch is at 12, nap time is at 1. Sit back, relax, become a Christian, and God will make life easy. But we know, brother Christian, sister Christian, the reality of the Christian life, it is not a cruise ship. The biblical reality when you become a Christian is that you have been called to serve the king and to get on his battleship, not on some cruise ship. Because as Christians, we look to make war with sin. We make war with our flesh, war with the lust of this world, and we share the remedy of sin. Church, we have a message. We have a divine, world-altering, life-saving message, and we must be willing to suffer. We must be willing to endure behind enemy lines in order to carry out our mission for our eternal King, and that is to deliver his gospel message to the world, no matter the cost. Let me put it this way. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. Thus, in the midst of Satan's attacks on this world, as Derek Thomas pointed out, Christian, we are not impartial. We are not nonpartisan concerning who our alliance is with. As Christians, we have a dog in the fight. We side with and we fight for the king. Thus, we must know an attack from the prince of the power of the air from the enemy. It could be right around the corner, and we must be willing to endure. That is the Christian life. It is life on a battleship and not life on a cruise ship. In John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress, the main character of the book, named Christian, he comes to faith in Jesus Christ in the book. He meets Christ at the cross. His sins are forgiven, and the burden that has been on his back is now free. And as soon as he becomes a believer of Jesus Christ, Christian walks to a place called Palace Beautiful. It is a picture of the church. And there he has fellowship with saints. He's encouraged by the saints there. He is strengthened because he is about to walk out into a place called the Valley of Humiliation. He becomes a Christian. He goes to church and is strengthened. He goes out into the real world, and his first stop is the Valley of Humiliation, where he meets a foul fiend named Apollyon, which means destroyer. Apollyon is a minion of Satan. He's this dragon monster type character, and he approaches Christian and asks him a couple questions, and he finds out that Christian is a servant of the prince committed and devoted and loyal to Jesus Christ. Thus, Apollyon breaks out into a furious rage, saying, I am an enemy of this prince. I hate this person, his laws, and his people. And he spit the words as if they left a bad taste in his mouth. And Apollyon says, I have come out here to purposefully oppose you. Prepare to die, or I swear by my infernal den that you will go no further, for here I will spill your soul. Christian, 
becomes a believer, strengthened by the church, walks out in the real world and is instantly opposed by a minion of Satan. So he fights. And the two fight for more than half a day. And with Christian wearing down, Apollyon goes in for the kill, only to be met with a last-ditch thrust of the sword from Christian. The fiend draws back like someone who had received a fatal wound. Christian recognized the opportunity, moved in on him to fight further in light of all the persecution that he has faced. And as he does this, he cries out, even so, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Church, this is the picture of the Christian life. Please realize that we are targets of the enemy. The Christian life, it is life not on a cruise ship, but it is life on a battleship. Paul warns a young Timothy, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus, they will be persecuted. Jesus warns his disciples this way. He says, Remember the word that I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Thus, do not be surprised when our children are bullied at school for their Christian beliefs. Do not be surprised that your workplace co-workers will gossip about you behind your back concerning your faith. Do not be surprised that Christian persecution is up 14% from last year, meaning there are 245 million people around the world who experience high levels of persecution for the sake of Jesus Christ. But why? Why would anyone endure for the sake of Jesus Christ? Why would anyone do such a thing? Why Paul? Why the disciples? Why the church fathers? Why 245 million people around the world? Why are they willing to suffer for Christ? Because our Messiah, Jesus Christ, his message, the gospel, when we truly understand the depths of its eternal riches we learn it is worth giving everything up for and enduring everything for until the very end. Because the 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, our light and momentary afflictions, it is producing for us an eternal glory that is far beyond comparison. Thus endure for Jesus Christ. The very word of God promises that he is worth it. Our light, our momentary affliction, it is producing for us an eternal glory. Church, it is a privilege, it is an honor to be a prisoner of Christ because he will, we will see an eternal glory. And that glory, church, it is far beyond comparison. Which brings us to point number two this morning. Brother Christian, sister Christian, even in the face of persecution, we must not, under any circumstance, water down or compromise the gospel message that we share with the world. Even in the face of persecution, we must not, under any circumstance, water down or compromise the gospel message that we share with the world. Verses 2 through 6. Paul writes, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, 
When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, I mentioned earlier, it looks as though Paul is about to open chapter 3 in prayer. But he begins his redirection or his new train of thought here in verses 2 through 6. And you can hear his reflection or his transition in verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2, it says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles... Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Here in verse 2, Paul begins his reflection with assuming that you have heard. Or surely, or indeed you must have heard that I, Paul, by God's grace have been called. I have been appointed by God to be a steward or stewardship that we see here in verse 2, meaning he's been called to manage or to care for what God has given him. And what did God give him? We see in verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written. God gave Paul revelation. He gave Paul supernatural revelation concerning the mystery of God's will. And why did he do that? Verse 4, it says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Why did God give Paul this revelation? It is, verse 4, to help the people of God perceive, to comprehend, to learn, to realize the mystery of Christ, apply it to their lives, and share this gospel message with the world. You see, Paul was given this revelation. He was given this insight by God. And it was information, it was insight that verse 5 says was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. Meaning that in the past, God only revealed signs. He revealed shadows of what the mystery of the will of God was for the world. For example, God told Abraham that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. He told Isaiah that salvation will reach the end of the earth. But what exactly did that mean? That God would bless all the peoples of the earth through Abraham? That salvation would reach the end of the earth? No one knew exactly. But Paul shares here, he says, this mystery, this conundrum, this quandary in verse 3, it's been made known to me by revelation, by God alone. It has been made known to me. And here it is in verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles, they are fellow heirs. They are members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That through faith, 
through faith, through faith in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, Jews and Gentiles alike, you are now on the same footing together. There are no second-class citizens. You are one in Christ, saved by Christ, citizens together, family members together, stones together in God's temple. He says, you are one through Christ. And this is the message God had given Paul. This was the message Paul was unapologetically going to preach. And this was the message, the gospel message, Paul was going to take to the world. But here's the problem. As Reverend George Barlow explains, the boldness with which Paul asserted the Gentiles' equal privileges with the Jews through Christ, they were of the principal reasons why the Jews persecuted him with such violence and caused him to be sent as a prisoner to Rome. It was the boldness with which Paul asserted that the Gentiles had equal privileges with the Jews through Jesus Christ. That was the principal reason why the Jews persecuted him with such violence and caused him to be sent as a prisoner to Rome. Church, despite the persecution, despite the suffering, Paul understood the depths and the riches and the eternal glory that is found in the gospel message that he was called to preach. And watering down the gospel or making it more palatable or less offensive to the Jews that heard him, it was never an option. Or quietly or timidly sharing the gospel truth only around certain people who wouldn't get angry with him, it was never an option. Or just keeping this message to himself, it was never an option. Paul, he had the very word of God revealed to him concerning the gospel being the only saving means for Jew and Gentile alike. And he could not, not share this news with the world. He had to share this news with the world. He had to do it boldly and liberally and unapologetically and without compromise. David Platt made this statement. He said, persecution only arises when proclamation resounds. If you stay silent about your faith, you stay safe from persecution. It's when you speak out about your faith that you step in to persecution. In 1989, Today in the World published the following story. It read, During China's Boxer Rebellion of 1900, insurgents captured a Christian mission station. They blocked all the gates but one, and in front of that one gate placed a cross flat on the ground. Then the word was passed to those inside that any who trampled the cross underfoot would be permitted their freedom and life, but that any refusing would be shot. Terribly frightened, the first seven students trampled the cross under their feet and were allowed to go free. But the eighth student, a young girl, refused to commit the sacrilegious act. Kneeling beside the cross in prayer for strength, she arose, moved carefully around the cross, and went out to face the firing squad. Strengthened by her example, every one of the remaining 92 students followed her to the firing squad. 
Church, it is the gospel message only with the power to save. Thus, as those who have been redeemed by it, as those who have been saved by it, we cannot water it down. We cannot stay silent about it. We cannot compromise this message in order to stay stay face. We must be willing to boldly, unapologetically stand for this message and share this message even in the face of persecution. Because it is the only message that can save our souls. It is the only message that will ever save the world. Endure persecution. Jesus Christ said these words in Luke 12. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Church, there is only one worth fearing. Because there is only one with the authority to cast sinners into hell. And only one with the authority to save. And that is our almighty God. Thus let Christ be the only one we live for. Let Christ be the only one our lives are ordered around. Now and through eternity. Why? Because light and momentary afflictions that we face. It is producing for us an eternal glory that is far beyond comparison. Live for Jesus. Christ, no matter the cost, these light and momentary afflictions, church, they are producing for us eternal glory that is far beyond comparison. And as we close this morning, I'll begin with the non-Christian who is sitting there this morning, because non-Christian, you may be sitting there thinking, well, what is this message? What is this message that offers salvation to the world? What is this message that was a mystery in the past and has now been revealed? What is this message that is worth facing jail time for, persecution for, even death for? What is this message? And this message, it is the gospel. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. Non-Christian is that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised according to the scriptures. And that those who believe in his perfect life, death, and resurrection as the only means to have their sins forgiven and to be reconciled back to God, they will be offered eternal life. And you may be sitting there this morning thinking, what? How? Your sin, non-Christian, it has separated you from God. So God in his perfect love and perfect mercy and perfect character, he literally came to you. Jesus Christ, he broke into this world. God came into this world, took on flesh as Jesus Christ, truly God and truly man. And the law that we could not keep, the law that we broke over and over and over again, Jesus Christ, he kept it. Every statute, every law, he was a perfect, righteous being without sin. He accomplished something we could never do. 
And because of his devotion, his love, his unified will with the Father, Jesus Christ, he gave himself up for his people. He paid the price for our sin. He was crucified for our sins. He died for our sins and he bore the punishment that the children of God deserve for their sin by being nailed to a cross. And the price he paid, his perfect life, it appeased the holy wrath of God toward the sins of his children. And three days later, Jesus Christ, he defeated sin and defeated death once and for all. He rose from the grave. And because he did it, because there was a resurrection from the dead, we too, as Christians who have faith in Jesus Christ, we can be raised to new life by trusting in Jesus Christ and Christ alone as the only one who can forgive us of our sins and reconcile us back to God. Thus, non-Christian, let today be the day that you turn from your sins, you seek forgiveness of your sins, and you trust in Jesus Christ And Christ alone, as the only one who paid the price for your sins on the cross, lived a perfect life, can clothe you in his righteousness and reconcile you back to God, bring you back into unity, communion, fellowship, and eternal salvation forever with your God. Non-Christian, let today be the day. And to the Christian that is here this morning, to the Christians that through faith in Jesus Christ, we are now fellow heirs together. We are members of the same body. We are partakers of the promises of God. And we are now one with Christ. What a gift. What revelation. What an incomprehensible message that we are now reconciled back to God in unity with God in communion with Him through eternity. I mean, what do we do with this message? We follow Jesus Christ's commands. In Mark 16, it says, Go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And we follow Paul's example by proclaiming it boldly and unapologetically and unashamedly and plainly. We do it publicly or face-to-face, but we do it. We do it fully and willingly. We do it at work and at home, at soccer practice and swim meets, family reunions, plays, networking events, school functions, book clubs, board meetings. We do it. We do it with friends and acquaintances, enemies and new relationships. We do it anytime, any place, any form is a good time to share the gospel. But you might be thinking, but Wes, you're the professional. I mean, we literally pay you to do this type of stuff. Can't we just let you do it? Church, as we saw in verse 2, Paul, by God's grace, was made a steward of the revelation that God had given him. He was called to manage and to care for the revelation that God had given him. We have that revelation now. Jesus Christ says in Luke 12, 48, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. As Professor Tim Booker says, that we have been given no greater gift than the gospel. We have no greater stewardship then than to share that message of good news 
with others. Thus it is my prayer that we, as a church body, Lord, help us to comprehend and to understand the riches that we have in the gospel and what it means to be redeemed by the blood of Christ and reconciled back into unity and peace with God our Father. And Lord, help us to apply these eternal truths to our lives. Let us be a church body that does not cower in the face of persecution or waters down your gospel message in order to be accepted by the world. But Lord, by your grace, let us as a church body walk boldly on to your battleship, clothed in the full armor of God and being prepared to take on whatever the enemy might throw at us because we know that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And Lord, we pray that we not only are bold for the sake of our own perseverance in the faith, but we are bold in sharing the faith with others. Strengthen us as your stewards, we pray. We have been given the greatest message the world has ever known. And Lord, you have promised that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will people call if they don't know who to believe in? And how will they believe in Jesus Christ if they never heard of him? And how will the world hear? of Jesus Christ if we do not share him. Thus awaken a boldness in us, I pray, to share your gospel with the world openly, plainly, accurately, and without compromise, knowing that through our labor, no matter the affliction we face, you will bear eternal fruit for the good of your people and for your glory. Help us to be faithful, Lord. Help us to endure for Christ because there is an eternal glory waiting for us that is far beyond comparison. To God be the glory for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come together as a church body, we pray for the 245 million Christians around the world experience high levels of persecution. Father, at times it is hard to fathom exactly what they are going through, but I pray your Holy Spirit this morning, strengthen them. Strengthen them, we pray. And Father, as we see the world becoming more and more hostile toward Jesus Christ, the Bible, Christian doctrine, help us to be bold. Father, as we have seen through church history, the church has always been at its best. It has been most faithful when its back is against the wall. Father, help us to endure faithfully for you. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us because we have eternal glory in Jesus Christ. Guide us, Father. Help us to be bold in sharing this message with the world that desperately needs it. Spirit, work in each one of us. Guide us in who we should share this with. Please place into our minds the individuals at work and at school at the daycare centers we go through, the family members, Father, place in our minds who we need to be sharing this gospel message with. Lord, you are the only one who changes hearts. But Father, we are called to be faithful. Help us in this, we pray, in the face of any persecution. 
Because 10,000 years from now, Lord, none of this will matter when we are in glory with you. In Jesus' name, amen.